Well, hello once again, Pastor Brown. I'm here to just have this time with you and hope that you have somehow gotten used to spending this time with me also. It's a joy to just have this little special time of speaking to you. And I hope what is being shared with you is profitable and somehow is challenging and causing you to even think about this thing called Christianity or the church in a different manner. You know, we are really blessed to be part of the church and to be able to be used by the Holy Spirit in advancing the church or the kingdom of God. And that's what should be taking place. The church should be growing and the church should be advancing. My wife and I, we were looking at a young lady today in church and she's ushering, she's singing in the choir and uh, she's the one, to my understanding, that somewhat led the church to build a playground for the kids, uh, a basketball area and add on to their parking lot uh, from a vision that she had. And come to find out, she's a product of our daycare there at the church, the Wonder World. And uh, she started at Wonder World when she was about seven, eight months old. And went there until she was 12. And her mom and dad was sitting in church today at this funeral. But they were so proud of her. And I hope that in some way we had some play in that. And uh, we were able to do that because when she saw Miss Brown, she recognized Miss Brown right off. And I'm hoping my wife had a deep impression upon her. And um, she just hugged. And so we never know what effect sometime we're going to have on other people's lives. But they're there. And uh, we just praise God for that. And that's the church. Because you minister to people, it does not mean that that individual will wind up at your church. That's not the goal. Although I know oftentimes that's what people would hope for and want to take place. What you should be praying for that they wind up working in the kingdom of God. Somewhere in the church of God. Uh helping a church whether big or small main thing serving the Lord Jesus Christ and that's what she's doing she's serving the Lord and doing it joyfully and, and we're just proud to see her doing the things that she was doing today in this church ministering to others well I better stop there and we better get on to what we're supposed to be talking about and and that's a little bit about what we should be talking about is working or the works of the church is twofold. And she may have come out or had some development or some of what was taught to her by us by our second purpose or meaning as a church. The church has two jobs. One, to do the work of the church. 
and secondly, to do the work in the community. Do the work in the church and do the work in the community. For the Lord gave us apostles, pastors, prophets, evangelists, for the building up of the church, of the people of the church. But when those people are built up, there should be an activity going on outside the church, not so much directed by the church per se, but the people themselves are involved in doing something in the kingdom of God because they've been fed and ministered to at the church. We're a small church, but last week God allowed us to have our leadership group in and I was so proud of them as they shared in the different ministries that they're doing on their own outside of the church and touching the lives of people. Just proud of them. Because it's not so much church-led as it is, I would like to believe, church impacted their life in such a way that they are ministering to others outside of our doors. And that's then getting involved in the community part, whether it be on your job, whether it be with your neighbors, whether it be with some other group outside the church that may not be per se Christians, but you're touching lives and you're building a reputation that you are a Christian because you don't hide it and you're able to share it at some point. Our God is so good. Well, we want to pray and we want to get into this. The work of the church is twofold. The church, allowing the church to be the church for the sake of the church and then be in the church for the sake of the community. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for your loving kindness. And thank you, O God, that we are the salt for the community. We are the light for the community. We are the ones who preserve and help hold back the realms of the enemy through the power of your Holy Spirit. And yet, Lord, we are the people who build up one another and encourage one another. And I pray, Father, that you would give us strength not to get just stuck in one area, but that, Lord, we would work in both of these areas, the church and the community. Would you lead us and guide us? And would you open up your word that we might hear it and see it? And Lord will give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God cares not only about us being agents of sharing his saving grace, sharing the gospel, but also of us sharing his common grace. His common grace and something we don't share much and we don't 
use it much, but common grace would be that God allows it to rain on the just and the unjust. He allows his sun to shine on all of us. He allows us all to breathe the air that he has given. He has allowed us all to have a sense of righteousness, even before we knew Christ. It was not a righteousness per se that would save us, but it was a righteousness that allowed us to cooperate and to live among one another. It was a righteousness that had to be Because without it, you would have chaoticness. If everybody stole from everybody, even though you didn't know the Lord, there was a righteousness about you don't steal from one another. Uh, uh, You don't touch another man's wife. Uh, You don't commit adultery with another man's wife or the wife with somebody else's husband. There, There was a sense of righteousness. And there was a righteousness at a time that the church set forth in the community to a lot of unsaved people. When we talk about the gays saying they're coming out the closet, well, the question is, what kept them in the closet? What kept them in the closet? There was a sense of righteousness that the church taught and the community accepted. And that somewhat kept them in the closet. And today, because the church is so divided among itself and among the teachings of Jesus Christ and will not really stand up and be the church, that the doors of the closet are unlocked and everything is coming out of the closet because the church is not speaking, the church is not teaching of these things and even among many churches we have come to a place that a lot of our churches are convinced that well people were just created that way and that's the way they are no God did not create a man to be a woman or a woman to be a man and yes we understand the genetics of some we understand that by science and so forth but we also understand that we live in a fallen world, a fallen system that that has all these corrupt things in it. And that there's going to be times, things that we really can't explain. But God's law is still to be observed. For there's only two human beings that God created, man and a woman. I don't care what race you're in or what race you look at. It's man and a woman. There is no third, fourth, fifth thing that God created. He didn't create a gay person. He didn't create the LTB. He didn't create transgenders. People choose to be that because of a certain little word called lust desires out of control and will not be controlled. All of our feelings have to be controlled. All of our feelings have to be checked. I just can't do what I want to do. Now, God really does care about us being his agents. But he also cares about the community. 
He wants us to see that people have a need of salvation. But understand this. Everyone is not going to accept the Lord the moment you witness to them. But they still have a need to know about righteousness. They still have a need to know how to live in in a civilization, in a society. And it's God that still restrains that. It's not man who restrains himself. It's God. It's God. Now, when we receive the Holy Spirit, when we're saved, oh yes, there's a lot more restraining that takes place. And I like to put it in the word of discipline. The more you're disciplined, the more restraint, the more power you have to restrain yourself. An undisciplined person does not have the ability to discipline themselves or restrain themselves or hold themselves or keep themselves. But only when you know how, by the teaching of the Holy Spirit, can you throw off the lust and the strong desires that are there because they will overtake you. But our goal is not only to build up the church. Our goal has to be also to build up the community. To make the community better. Now sometimes church folks who are saved don't want to hear that because they're convinced the only obligation we have is to win souls for Christ. Everybody's not going to be saved at the same time. So what do you do with all those folks who have no knowledge of righteousness? They have no knowledge of themselves, in a sense. They have no knowledge of their sexuality. They have no knowledge of how to control their desires or their wants. And there was a time in our society that because of the church and the respect that people had for the teaching of Christ, even though they didn't believe in it, there was a restraint. There was a restraint. And though we have this teaching on the airs, TV, everywhere else, Satan in his own way has closed the ears of many of those in the community that they rather hear the filth of this world rather than the truth of the gospel. And they rather live as this world dictates rather than understanding how God would have us to live. The church must also minister common grace as well as saving grace to the community. They're both there. And we need to understand that. And our goal is to build up the church. And and in doing so, we equip people to go back out into the community, to work in the community. And there's areas that even the church itself can't solve all these problems that's in the community, that's in our society. But the church itself have to come to a place 
that we get more involved. Because some of these problems that we have are only going to be destroyed by the power of God. Not the power of flesh and blood, but really the power of God. Why don't you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want us to take a look at something of what is said here. Because I think it is to be true, but we don't give much credence to it. We don't hear it too often. But in chapter 3, in verse 9 of Corinthians, listen to what it says, or if you have your Bibles, turn to it. For we are God's fellow workers. What is he saying? We are God's fellow workers. God isn't doing this by himself. Whatever work is being done, whether in the church, outside the church, God is not doing it by himself. He's doing it with who? With us. God wants to use us. And that's important for us to grab hold of. God wants to use us. He wants to use you. Yes, you are of a greater effect. God has a greater use for you when you surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. But God is a sovereign God that uses anything and everything. He just doesn't use Christians. He also used non-Christians to accomplish his work at times. And it's amazing how scripture reveals that, especially in the Old Testament. But he does. And he says, we are his fellow workers. And he goes on and he says something else about it here for us. You are God's field and God's building. Now he uses two illustrations here. You're the field. And what do you have to do in the field? Boy, you got to work in it. You got to clear a bunch of stuff out of it before you can ever build. If you ever are ready to build on a piece of land sometime, most of the land that is selected for building, there's trees on it, mounds on it, is not ready to just go in there and put a building. You got to go in there and level the ground. You got to clear the trees. You got to clear bushes. There's a ton of work that you have to do before you're ready to build. Yes, we are God's field and we are God's building. God's working in the field. He's preparing us and everything else for the building that he's going to build, that he's going to occupy, and he's going to use. You don't build a building just to let it sit. You build the building, or you build that something or that thing that you're going to occupy, and you're going to produce something. You're going to manufacture something that hopefully, whatever you manufacture, you're not going to just keep it there on the property, but you're going to manufacture something, produce something that you're going to ship out. 
He's going to build his church. And in his church, he's going to develop. He's going to produce. He's going to manufacture the people that's going to go out and touch the community in many different ways. And somehow we got to catch that picture. We got to see that about the church. That the church has the responsibility of producing that which goes out into the community. And by being the salt and the light, by being the ones who know the righteousness of God and the power of God, steps out into this dark world allow people to see light to allow people to see the power of God to allow people to experience the love of God to allow people to experience the kindness of God to allow people to see what God has transformed because we were once like what? like the people of the world and we want people to see that we're different that we really are God's fellow co-workers. We're working with him. But he's also working in us that we might work with him in doing that which he wants to do, not only in the church, but also in the community. Go to Mark 16, 9. <clears throat> Mark chapter 16 and and uh, verse 19 and sometimes we read things and we read them over and over and we don't have the insight or we don't have the thought but there's sometimes God before he gives us thought over verses that we've read over and over before but all of a sudden boy here's this thought that God shows us something different about this verse in 19 and 20 look what he says after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. He sat at the right hand of God, indicating basically his work now was finished. But he's still working, but he's working through us. Look at verse 20 here also now. Then the disciples went out and preached where? Everywhere. They went out. They were someplace else, whether they were at home, whether they were in Jerusalem, Whether they were just together meeting someplace, but it said at some point they went everywhere, preaching everywhere. No longer just in the building, no longer just in one spot, but they are penetrating the community. They're penetrating the world. They're going out. And catch this now, because this is so important. And the Lord worked with them. Well, you said that he just sat down at the right hand of God. He did. He finished his work that allows this work to take place. 
but he still works through his Holy Spirit in order that we might be a part of that work that he wants to complete and that he wants to do. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them that when you do a work for the Lord you're not working on your own. You're not working by yourself. The Lord is working with you. When you're on the job and you're helping somebody or you're teaching somebody or you're discipling somebody or you're witnessing for the first time to somebody or you're just being kind to them. You're just being polite to them. You're just helping them through a marital problem. You're just helping them through a parental problem. You're just helping them through a financial problem. You're ministering to them, but guess who else is there? God is there. God is there. You're not doing it on your own. And God wants us to know that. Though the church is doing a work, is not doing it on its own. And he goes on, he says, And the Lord has worked with them and confirmed his word. Who does the confirming of his word? He does. You can't confirm his word. You can speak his word. You can't confirm his word. You can't make anybody believe that his word is true. God can. God does. And he simply says, Boy, the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. God's word is powerful. Now, somebody may say, well, uh, we don't see the healing of the blind. We don't see the healing of the lame. It says confirming his word by signs. That when somebody begins to believe God's words, there's going to be things that happen in their life that's going to be signs that says, this is a living word. This is the word of God. Something's going to begin to happen in them. That's going to be a sign to them. That's going to be meaningful to them. That this is God's word. God's going to do it. God's going to do it. Now, turn to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. And I want you to catch this. Because... We need to understand that, boy, the power of God and and, and what God is capable of doing. And then we're going to look at Ephesians 2, 20 and 22, but look at Isaiah 61. 61 verse 3. Look what he says. And provide for those who grieve in Zion. God provides for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Life is destroyed. Life is messed up. He can take those ashes and he can make something beautiful out of it. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. In the worst crisis that you're in. And the scripture tells us to give thanks in all things. 
God is able to give you a voice of thanks, a voice of praise in the worst predicament that you find yourself in. You can say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. And he says, boy, I can give you gladness instead of mourning. And he goes on and said, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair, of hopelessness. I can give you some people all to be sad. They all be depressed. They all be mad. They all be angry. They all be sad. No, you got a voice of praise because of what God is doing. And he goes on and he says, they will be called oaks of righteousness. Why would you be called oaks of righteousness? Oak trees, you don't see them bending too often. Oak trees are just straight up and they're tough, they're hard. And you're standing. And Christians today ought to be the oak trees of God, the righteousness of God. And we're just standing. We're standing. We're standing firm. Not being moved. We're always abounding in the things of the Lord. We're always at work for our Lord and our Savior. Oh, I don't want to make Christianity sound like, boy, there's no rough times in life. There's not no struggles in life. Uh, Everything is okie-dokie. Everything's just cheerful, this and that. No. We go through the sorrows of life just like everybody else does. We grieve at death. We grieve at the loss of loved ones. Yes, sometimes we're worried about where's our next meal coming from, but we're praying and we're believing God that he's going to provide. Yes, we have our electric turned off. We have our gas turned off at times. Yes, we don't have enough money sometimes for this or for that. Yes, we go through what is known as the common life of people that people experience. Somebody say, well, if you're really living for the Lord right, uh, you won't be poor. No. There will be times as Christians that there will be a lack. There's times that we're not having all the finances that we would like to have. But we have all that we have need of. We have shelter. We have clothing. We have housing. Yes, I may have to walk down and catch the bus. Yes, I may have to ride a bicycle to my place of employment or whatever. I may only be working two days a week or three days a week. But somehow there's a different attitude about the Christian than it is about the one who is unsaved. He says they will be called the oaks of righteousness, a planning of the Lord. I like that. The planning of the Lord, that you are planted by God. You are planted by the work of God. And he says, for the display of his splendor. Why is all these troubles in my life sometimes? Why is all these sorrows in my life? Why is the position that I'm in in my life? 
is that I might show the splendor of God, the glory of God, the greatness of our God. Amen. He loves you. He wants to use you. I want you to go to Ephesians now with me because I'm trying to get this point across. Yes, God is working in us, in the church, in the life of those individuals that we might also be equipped to go out into this community, out into this world, and do a work and tell them of this gospel and to show them a love that we've been shown by God. When you get into this verse 20, chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 20 and 22. Let's catch it. I want you to catch the two things that he's working on here. He says, Built on the foundations of the apostles, the prophets. That's the Christian life. We're built on the foundations of the apostles, of what that first century church was. We're built on that teaching that came from Jesus Christ. We're built on the prophets who declared the same thing as the apostles did, the word of God. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone who laid that first stone for this building to be built, Jesus Christ. Always got to be a first stone. Always got to be a first corner pouring, even of the cement. It has to start someplace. It don't start in the middle. It usually starts right there on the corner area. He said, Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. You always want to start laying that block. Not in the middle, but on the corner. First block. And that's Jesus. Then the apostles. Then the prophets. And us. Now look at 21. Verse 21. In him the whole building is joined together. In him. Somehow Jesus Christ locks all this together. That mortar that we see that's put down to hold those blocks and it runs all through the building in a sense, that's Jesus holding those blocks in place. And where the blocks lie. In him the whole building is joined together and raised to become a holy temple. That's my life. I'm his temple. We are to be a holy temple. Or do I fall short? I'd be the first to say. But yet God encourages me to be holy as he is holy. Yes, I may fall seven times, but seven times I shall arise and keep on pressing forward. And Paul says, I press on, forgetting the things that are behind me, and I press on. That is a learning process for us as Christians. To learn to keep pressing on. Yes, we're going to fall. Lord, forgive me. Yes, I'm going to fall. Lord, forgive me. Yes, I'm going to fall again. But Lord, forgive me. And I keep getting up and pressing on. He says, why? He's raising us up to be a holy temple. Now, that's one work. That's the work he's working on, this temple. In the Lord. And in him... You two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives. Boy, 
Where is he going to live? Right here. Right here. Right here. He built in a building that everybody can come into called the church. But he's also building individual temples in which he dwells. And in that building is all is fit together. All held together by him. And he says, I will build my church. My church. And then out into the community. In a sense, he went. Coming from heaven to earth. To provide the people that would be in the church. That's why the church is called the called out ones. Where we called out from. From the world. We should never forget that. That Jesus Christ calls us from the world. Into his church. For what purpose? To send us back out into the world. Not in the same character in which we came into his church. But in a new character. And as a new creature. Back into the world. As much in those two verses there. And we need to somehow recognize them. Those two buildings, yes. One, he's totally fitting it all together. He's the glue to it all, and that's the church. And then he's also working in us, raising us up to be his temples in which he's going to dwell in. Now, <clears throat> if you go with me over into First Peter, I want you to catch this on the priesthood and the spiritual sacrifices. The priesthood and the spiritual sacrifices. A priest is, the word priest itself simply means servant. Servant. And everyone who is called by God is a priest. And what does a priest do? He serves. And we're called into the priesthood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to serve. To serve one another and also to serve others. Also to serve others. And in serving one another and serving others, we serve him. We serve him. Look at verse 5 in 1 Peter 2. Oh boy, get these eyes. You also, like living stones, are being built. You're being what? You're being built. You're being worked on. Into a spiritual house. What kind of house? A spiritual house. For that temple where God will dwell. And look what it says. To be holy. To be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifice. Now, what does the priest do? What did the priest do in the Old Testament? He offered sacrifices for the people. He offered sacrifices on behalf of the people. He did them for the people, 
and on behalf of the people. He offered the sacrifices. Now, catch what else is going to say here. The spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Spiritual sacrifices. Boy, what are they today? We know they're not the turtle doves. We know they're not the lambs. We know they're not the goats. And we know they're not other animals being sacrificed. But Romans 12 says that we offer ourselves as a spiritual sacrifice. As a living sacrifice. Until you're willing to offer yourself to be used of God. To be a servant of God to someone else. You're not that spiritual sacrifice. You need to see that you are a priest. As a priest, you are serving. What are you serving? Spiritual sacrifices. And that starts with you. Dying to yourself. And becoming a living sacrifice that God can really use you. And then you're going to sacrifice through your time. You're going to sacrifice through your giving. You're going to sacrifice through your talents and your gifts and your abilities that you can share with other people. Remember your talents and your gifts are not meant just for you. But they are meant for the purpose of being used on the behalf of others. And God wants you to use them. Our goal is not only a church, but also a society. That we build the church, and the church helps to build a godly society. And when I say a godly society, that doesn't mean everybody is saved. But there's a consciousness of God. A consciousness of God. And we have lost in America a consciousness towards God. Of even thinking that there might even be a God. Or having some type of reverence over the things of God. We have lost that in America. And it is the church that somehow... Pours that into a community and into a society that there is a God. May not believe in him, may not trust in him, but there's a consciousness there that says, there just might be a God. There is a thing of righteousness. There, there, there are some things you don't do. But today, there's no consciousness of God. Well, the church has to really make an appeal to a secular world about what is right. And no longer is the church trying to even make that appeal about things that are right, that are natural laws of righteousness. I don't have time to go into them, but I do want to mention them. And you could 
Look them up for yourself. Thomas Aquinas used the natural law of righteousness. Luther used the natural laws of righteousness. Calvin did. C.S. Lewis was one of the last ones that really spoke on those things and so forth in this time in which we're living. But then the example is also found in Acts 2.5 when Peter talks about the Jews that are not saved, but he calls them God-fearing. There's a consciousness of God. They were God-fearing. They didn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were not saved. They were not filled with the Holy Spirit. But there was a consciousness towards God. A consciousness. And then we see this working out in the life of Joseph. And the work that he did among the Egyptians and so forth. We see Joseph saving whole communities and keeping of people who were not Jewish per se from starvation by being obedient unto God but working in a secular sense in a public office and doing what was good for the community, for the society. We also see that with Daniel working in a heathen nation but the things that Daniel did helped that heathen nation. And it was good for the nation, for the community, for the people. Not only for the king that he served, but for his kingdom. We see that even with Esther. That being in a Gentile country per se and most of her life hiding herself from being Jewish but yet trusting God and you could say really coming out of the closet now and revealing who she really was and saving thousands of thousands of lives in a secular position in a sense as being queen yes you can go on through in scripture looking at people who served in public places in a sense and God used them to affect the community but at the same time with building God's kingdom. Not this week, but next week. We're going to look at the book of Ruth. And there's three or four things I want to bring out from one of the chapters that I think the church is missing today that we need to somewhat focus in on. And you don't find the word church in per se in the Old Testament. And I know it's the temple and it's the Jewish people. But there's four things. And you find both of these names also. Boaz. They're listed in the 
lineage of Jesus. But we'll get more into that next, next, next week. But I want you to understand the church has this grave responsibility, yes. It's twofold. Saving souls, reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as God said to the Israelites who were taken into captivity into Babylon, seek the welfare of the city. Do good unto them and cause them to prosper. They were not saved people. But yet God tells the Israelites to do good and cause the cities to prosper. And I believe Christians today should do that. We do what is good and we cause the cities to prosper. Well, I want to say thank you for your time. And I pray that somehow something was said to encourage you. Something was said to cause you to look at church differently and to look at what you're doing as being a priest of the Most High God. Are you really serving in the church, in the community? Are you really involved? Father, we thank you and praise you for your loving kindness. We ask, O oh God, that you continue to work in our life, build us up, that we might be the priests that you so desire us to be. And help us, Lord, to be mindful that the person we work next to may not be saved. Help us to be an example. But help us also, Lord, to be able to speak truth into that person's life. Open doors for us, Lord, that we might share your word. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. May God keep you. I'm going to look forward to seeing you next week as we're going to look at that book of Ruth. And we're going to see maybe just a few little areas that maybe the church could tweak itself and hope we could do better. God bless you. May God keep you. Have a wonderful week. Bye-bye.